0: Hi there. And thank you for coming back for episode two of Capturing Climate Change. Once again, I'm Sean Murphy and I'll be your host this episode, but I have some people here with me. For this episode, it's going to be more of a roundtable discussion. I have a few of my friends here who each are going to talk about their favorite climate change films. With that said, I'm going to dive right into the episode. This is Capturing Climate Change, episode two. All right.
1: I'll have you guys introduce yourselves.
0: Who wants to start?
1: Sure, I'll go first. Uh, So my name is Jill. I am a law student and interested in environmental law.
2: Um, I'm Peyton. I'm also a law student. I feel like that's the common denominator that we're all interested in environmental law and climate change and yeah.
3: Yeah, um, and I'm Emma, again, interested in the same things and as well, movies.
0: All right, perfect guys. Thank you so much. Uh, Thank you again for being here. Uh, so we're going to start off with a film called Children of Men. Uh, in case you haven't seen it, um, I would recommend pausing this and going and watching the movie first. But uh, if you'd rather just listen through, I have a quick synopsis here. So uh, Children of Men, this film takes place in a dystopian future that has fallen apart due to, the, due to a global infertility problem. Women have lost the ability to conceive and no one truly knows why, but environmental factors are hinted at to be the cause. The story takes place in England, the last known stronghold that is held on to any aspect of civilization, and centers around a man who has all but given up on society, before discovering a woman who is pregnant and turning, trying to escape the country before being used as a political tool. The main characters spend the film trying to escape the pursuit of a group of rebels who want to use the baby as a way to start a revolution against England's immigration policies. The goal of the main character is to get the child and their mother into the hands of the human project. An outside organization that people don't even know if it truly exists. That's supposedly trying to solve the world's infertility problem by fostering a new oasis away from the destructive path of the world's law. All right, Soima, this is your movie. So, where Mm -hmm. would you like to start?
3: So, I mean, I have a bunch of thoughts, but I'll start with the two main themes that I'm most interested in discussing. So, the first is the idea of the hero and um, how this is represented in the movie. Specifically, I would call it the reluctant hero. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to focus on is this human project um, that at the end, spoiler alert, they end up getting a boat, um, getting on a boat. And um, essentially, the viewers led like to believe that it's a happily ever after situation for the mother and the baby. And so with regard to that, it really says something about that there's like another reality we can we can look forward to and that there was, there was somewhere to escape to. And this bugged me the most with regard to like, if we're actually going to see this as a climate change movie, what does it say that it's really about individuals saving themselves and getting to what I can only imagine is a beautiful, tranquil garden. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And, and the fact that this, this place to which they escape isn't really explained kind of bugged me. Like who's this? Who who's running this boat? Is that is yes. that Sweden? Mm. It, there's some kind of like geopolitical mm. dynamic being represented there without being elaborated on, gotcha. which is both falsely hopeful
0: mm-hmm. and. So it's kind yeah. of like it's kind of like painting this picture that that there's there is some ultimate escape at the end. Like you know, like it's like we can kind of give up is at some point someone's going to save us or at some point we're each in it for ourselves and there's, there's, um, there's going to be some sort of oasis that we can run away to.
1: Can I say, it's always, yeah. it, it's often painted in this movie, it's painted anyways as like only those deserving of being saved are going to be saved. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Like she, the, the woman who's pregnant is very young, very kind of innocent portrayed, through the movie, um, and it's kind of portrayed that it's not her fault that she's in the situation, and she's the one that's going to be saved, and then the, the reluctant hero or rogue daddy. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Which maybe we should explain that Which to maybe <laughs> we should explain.
1: Um, but yeah, he is also deserving of being saved, even though, again, spoiler alert, he dies.
2: Which is funny, because in reality, it's actually the opposite of uh the people who have done the least harm are the ones who are hurt the most and have least at ac- least access to the um non-suffering yeah. you know <laughs> um, like it's the people with all the money who can have their space missions to whatever planet that they think they're going to come and find in space that they could live at but the poor people who are the victims of climate change, um, don't have access to that. And nobody's going to come and save them on a boat mm-hmm. um, in reality. Yeah. It'll be Elon Musk on the boat. Exactly. And okay, this
3: takes me back to what I originally mentioned, this reluctant hero character. I'm bothered by the fact that these characters, who, who are usually the rogue daddies, which um, I'll just take a side note and explain that. Um, this is the term that um, Peyton and I coined. <laughs> for characters in movies where it's a father figure whether or not it's an actual father um, who steps in to save everyone but has to go rogue in order to do so so even though they are morally um, just and they're you know the, the good character they do all the things that you would traditionally associate with the evil characters they you know yeah, they go rogue. They beat people. They up. beat people up. They they kill people. They but it's all it's all in the name of protectionism. So it's so it's good. Um, yeah.
0: So do you have an issue in this film at the very least with the fact that the the um, reluctant hero or rogue daddy uh, is a male at the end of this story? It's it's a it's a man who saves the 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 path to you know uh finding salvation it, you know is that is that where the 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 reluctant hero comes from or is it is it you just don't like the idea that it's somebody who stumbles upon the 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 path to the future, if you will
3: it's it's the second one Got it's you. less about gender. If we're going to talk about gender, it's more that there's someone looking out for us. Mm-hmm. It's the father figure, the the patriarch. Who? Yes. So one, it, that someone's going to save us, and we don't have to do the work ourselves. And two, that the people saving us will be reluctant, gotcha. and that it discourages this idea of of being active participants. it's really just oh, you know, if it, if it ever comes up and you have a chance to save the world, you would obviously do it. But you know, if it doesn't come up, don't don't stress too no much.
1: Right right. Yeah, yeah. It's always contrasted with like. The collective effort. Like, the collective efforts always fail. Like, for example, in this movie, there is that other group that is helping the woman try to escape. But they fail. Mm-hmm. And it has to be the individual that saves her. Mm-hmm. It, yes. It, it can never be a group.
0: So, let me jump on that for a second. So, like, in, in the film, the, the rebel group, they're deemed not worthy to save her. Mm-hmm. Because their their efforts somewhat become corrupted. Or at least that's what's how it's portrayed in the film. Do you think that's speaking at all to how things work out today, like the idea that, that too many ha- like too many cooks in the kitchen won't get the job done?
1: There is a certain element of that because there's always the the fear. I mean, this is a kind of a maybe a little bit aside, but there's always that fear on the left where like le- there's always infighting on the left, mm-hmm. right? And that's always going to be the downside of us. Whereas people who hold on to fear for in this so we'll bring back the movie so in this movie they have you know the military the the government so to speak which doesn't really get involved I guess very much but like the military and the state apparatus they focus on fear and they can work together to do that but when the other side focuses on hope they inevitably have clashes between them and they're gonna fight and that's always gonna fall apart and that's always the theme of these Kind of movies, and maybe it's like a slightly neoliberal project or something to have, or an extension of the neoliberal project to have that idea. But that's common throughout all of them. Mm-hmm. And that always bugs me. Yeah. That yeah. they have to fail.
2: Mm-hmm. It's almost discouraging people from even trying. Yeah. Yeah.
3: It's depressing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really is. <laughs> Well, this takes me back to like an unformed thought I had about the movie, which is that like everyone is evil. Almost every character is morally corrupt, except for the woman and her baby, mm. and and maybe the reluctant hero, and maybe the midwife. Yes, her as
0: well. Yeah. So so I think the midwife is actually a really interesting character because it seems like. She is, is in a sense driven by um religion. It it's been very clear early on that that her whole thing is the fact that 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 and and I, I won't tie in any kind of correlation between this young girl and the Mary Magdalene, they make a joke about it in the film. Um, but it seems like her drive is religion and this idea that religion is going to save them. Mm-hmm. And then you know she prays multiple times throughout the film and stuff like that um and then at some point you actually find out that she she was there she worked used to work in a fertility herd in a fertility wing of a hospital and was there when people stopped having babies like when when they, they ran out if you will um i guess my question and uh, i'm kind of lost it as i was going there but is do you think the director in any sort of way is 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 like why would he bring religion into that you know what i mean is it is it this idea that that you know, religion gives people hope and so therefore it should be held on to and stuff like that? Or do you think it's just kind of like, like it's 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 showing that holding on to religion and everything is not driving people from doing the right thing? Does that make sense? I don't know if my question was phrased right.
1: I think it does make sense. Um, I always see religion in these films as like an example of, you know, as things fall apart, people cling to something that gives them any kind of hope. Gotcha. Um, and so, yeah, as they become extremely fearful of everything that's happening around them, I think that's an inevitable kind of human reaction to to these kind of events, is that you're going to cling on to something. Yeah. Um, I don't have many more thoughts on that. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was going to say the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but
3: if I could t- take us back to this this question of of like, the good or bad characters and how everything falls apart because everything becomes corrupt. What do we think about that as a representation for like, our mutual contribu- contributions to environmental damage and climate change? Like, Do we think it's accurate that once everything starts to fall apart, we're all going to be completely self-interested and not be able to work together? Or... Would it be the opposite? What, what do we think? Like, what kind of hope do we have in humanity? <laughs> I guess it all comes down to.
1: I, I struggle with this a lot because my I always think that, I always try to be hopeful that we can come together to do this stuff. Like we can, if we come together, we can battle this, we can take it on. Um, but then when you start seeing reality and how people work together, um, it, it starts to become more complicated.
2: Uh, But to that, like, I do think that we're just missing a crucial element of, like, agreeing that everybody is working together for the same goal. You know, like, I do agree that if everybody were working together for the same goal, we could all come together and figure it out. But, like, we haven't gotten there. And the goalposts keep changing? The goalposts keep changing, but also there are people who don't subscribe to the goalposts. And they're like, oh, I'm going to die before this happens anyway, A. Or I can find my way out of it kind of thing. Like, I think the really rich people think that it's not a problem for them. Well, and yeah, because
1: yeah. it's the whole technology will save
2: us. Idea. And they can adapt um, and stuff. So I think if everybody actually got on the same page, that would be a different question. But everybody's not on the same page. And I don't see us getting to everybody on the same page until there's like... Really significant impacts to everybody.
1: Like a comet coming to the Earth.
0: Wow. <laughs> that
2: no jumping ahead.
0: <laughs> so so just joining in on that. It, so, I mean, you, you pointed out that like it seems throughout the film that that everybody's responsible. Everybody's a bad guy in a sense. Besides, you know this this main character. Uh, or not the reluctant hero, but the mother, I should mm-hmm. say. Um, it seems everybody's kind of a bad person. But are they bad people because they want to use this baby for their own purposes? Or are they bad people because they have seem to kind of... Like, they're not all focusing on the same thing. Because it seems like they each each had somewhat of a worthy cause of their own. Would you agree?
1: I would agree. because And that kind of goes into the reluctant hero... Um trope is that the reluctant hero is always the one portrayed as having the correct choice mm. whereas this is a problem I have with this movie Except I'm still not sure why the rebel group fell apart mm-hmm. and what their actual um, other plan was with the baby gotcha and why they killed Julianne and Moore. why they killed Julianne Moore like it, it doesn't make sense to me um, and I, again I've only seen this movie like once now and like years ago so it's not like I've done a deep dive on the movie um
0: so if, if, would you like me to like explain a little bit of it? Yeah, please. Okay, sure. So the, the, the reason why they kill Julianne Moore is because her plan from the beginning when she finds out that this uh, young woman has the child is to get her to the human project. because She believes that you know, this woman and her ability to give birth, is they'll be able to study her in some way uh, to, to try and help other women get back to giving birth. The group falls apart because, um, first of all, she is an immigrant. She's not from England, the child, uh, the mother. She's not from England. She she was brought in and is there on some sort of visa. Um, and as you learn early on in the movie, the government of England is being uh, extremely restrictive as to who can come in um, and, and kind of closing their borders because the rest of the world is, is falling into chaos. So this group, they find out that this, this young woman who all of a sudden is able to give birth and is an immigrant would be an amazing image to put out there to the masses and saying, guess what, government, you know, just because we haven't fallen apart doesn't mean England really is all that superior. There are immigrants out there who may be able to give birth, but they're dying because the world outside is falling apart. You need to start letting them back in.
1: Oh, that's interesting. Like, that's, mm-hmm. that's why
0: their plan is.
1: Okay. So again it goes back to the individual project too, like so like they're trying to do a project that maybe would create some kind of structural change mm-hmm. about the way they treat refugees. Whereas Clive Owens' character is just about this individual woman and saving her baby. Yes. And he, so his mission is correct because it's about one person and her livelihood. Yes. Whereas theirs is incorrect because it's corrupted by this overall mission that they have.
0: It's, it's this sort of idea of one versus the many. Mm-hmm, yeah. You know, Clive Owen wants to save the one and to keep her and and her baby safe. The other group they want to use her. hopefully keeping her safe, but you know, at the end of the day they're going to be thrusting her into the limelight um, in order to to change the minds
1: of of the English people. Yeah, but why are these presented as
3: mutually exclusive?
1: Well, I think yeah. you remember at, at the beginning of the movie, they they talk a lot about the baby. What was the 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 youngest man on earth when mm-hmm. he died? Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of uh, kind of talk about how he was a big jerk and he was kind of actually a terrible human being, but he was like thrust into the limelight, and then he was eventually like inevitably killed by this mob of people. Like he was stamp, like he was stampeded on, basically, right? That's he, how he died.
0: He was eighteen years old, four months, twenty days, sixteen hours, eight and eight minutes old.
1: That's yeah, like and so, so I guess the idea is that you're supposed to see Clive Owen's character as wanting to save her from that. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm. Except he doesn't actually want to. He was just asked to.
1: He was yeah. asked to. Yeah,
3: and he has to do it because. This
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It, that's another thing too, is like this idea that, you know, it, he only gets thrusted into this because his ex-wife asked him to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that aside, uh, just bringing this back to, I want to talk a little bit about, um, I am not any trouble remembering the actor's name right now, uh, but the character who lives in the woods with his wife. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This sort of, of uh, both of them are, 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 uh, Journalists and uh, both yes, and uh, from the first time you meet them, they're portrayed as the right type of people.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think about
0: the idea that that you know these knowledge seekers or the people who were trying to get the message out are the the good people? You know what I mean? Like they're they're clearly the best. You know they smoke weed. They're they're hanging out, listening to music. They're outside the system, and all of a sudden, they're they're the best people.
1: But they've also given up. They have. Because they have removed themselves from actually helping at this point, right? Because they're no longer journalists. Mm-hmm. They've excluded themselves into the woods by themselves. And that's supposed to be seen as like the ideal life now.
3: Mm-hmm. He also ends up um, like administering that suicide concoction to the wife. Quietus. The Quietus. Which left me sort of confused what to take away from that. Mm-hmm. What it meant for the Bohemian friend character. Whether that was a decision, like a virtuous decision or not, yeah, I, I was yeah, was I mean.
1: Is it the ultimate removal from society? Perhaps
0: this sort of idea that you can just give up. You can, like can can you? You know what I mean? Is that is that the right thing to do to just sort of stop?
1: That was a weird theme in this movie too. Was mm-hmm. the the that quietest? Was that what it's called, quietus? Quietus. Mm-hmm. Um, was called so quietest? Quietest was just like a government always funded. available. And it was government funded and like. This idea that you could just take yourself out because it's overwhelming to think of living in this world anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, Which I think we see parallels with now because there is kind of a nihilistic or whatever. Um, I'm thinking the wrong word. That's not the right word uh dystopian kind of feeling you're just kind of like downtrodden like you have no hope left for the future Mm um it's it's nihilist yeah (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, (laughs) and like that's why people like people claim that that's why millennials aren't having kids anymore because we don't have any hope for the future so we're just giving up Mm -hmm. um that we think climate change is just so overwhelming and we can't handle
2: it sorry I just, no, go ahead. Okay. No, I just I feel like that's something that everybody's like, don't give up, don't give up, don't give up. But they're unwilling to actually shift the power dynamic to give people power to actually change anything. Um, so, what can we expect? Like, I think the idea that they're like the best people. I think maybe that's unfair um, or not the right thing to say that they're better than anyone else but you can't really fault somebody for trying to protect their peace like if they have no power to make a difference for sure so like bring it back to like climate change and millennials not having babies and stuff it's like well if nobody in power um who wants us to have these babies because they'll pay their taxes when they're old um if they are not prioritizing, ensuring that there's a world that's livable for those children. Why on earth are we putting the burden on the powerless individual to not give up? I don't think that's fair. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. Although to
3: to actually go back to your question because I feel like we sort of circled around it a bit. I do do think there is a common theme in all the movies we're about to discuss where it's, it's very clear what the movie signals is the right person and the, the non-virtuous person. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure how to, how to deal with that because I, I do think that it's true that there are certain political ideologies that are more open to accepting climate change realities and actually engaging with the progress we need to engage with. But at the same time, there's this, divide politically and when we point to one type of person whether it be like the lefty elite or I'm not sure if that's a helpful message and I, I think that's going to come up again and um, some of the other movies we're talking about
0: for sure so with that said I think just to kind of like close out on this movie um two final questions first of all this movie takes place in November 2027 So that's about five years away. Um, I didn't realize that. I think
3: I've got a dinner reservation.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So uh, clearly, obviously, this world was ravaged by the infertility crisis. Um, Now, we recently went through a very, uh, not similar, but uh, scary global crisis, COVID. Um, Do you think that this sort of, of, of just global mess is going to elevate anywhere close to this by the time, let's say 2030, give it an extra three years like do you think, do you think the world could fall into this kind of chaos that quickly
1: Parts of it Yeah So it's just hard not to watch some countries and the the extreme division in them and to not be able to see that war is going to happen. So, and I say that because part of these movies is also that there's inevitably going to be militarization. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's always going to be like an us versus them situation. And we have, we already have more extremism talk about refugees, um, even in Canada right now, Uh, but especially in the U.S. Um, And... So it becomes, and there's, you know, increased defense spending, def- increased um, crackdown on protesters, um, all of this like, kind of militarization is happening to a certain extent in some places. Uh, and then you see the war in Russia, and you see, not in Russia, in, in Ukraine. Um, I, I, don't, I think 2030 is maybe a little bit too soon, mm-hmm. um, but there's a reason these moves exist, in a way that they're not that far in the future, yeah. is because we can imagine that and that plays on our fear, yeah. which is why we go to watch these movies. For sure. Um, people, for some reason, crave feeling afraid. <laughs> <laughs> it's called disaster porn. Yeah, disaster porn, exactly. Um, and they like to see it close. Yeah. Like they want to see that it's close
3: and they can imagine that's going to be close. Yeah. I will say that that's one comment I, I wanted to make about this movie as well that one thing I'll give. Positive, I'll say about it is that I do think it sort of captured what I would expect that misery to look like like connecting it back to the pandemic we sort of saw that not anywhere near to the same level of course but with vaccines right where some people who had vaccines from certain countries like developed in certain countries I think um, the Chinese vaccine was one were you know not accepted globally and so their travel all of a sudden was restricted in a way that they hadn't been before Mm -hmm. and it I can see the direct line, just like you were saying, Jill, that how if that were to progressively get so much worse, it would have been that we have this space where everybody wants to come um, and can't. And we're you know responding with increased border restrictions, just like um, we will with climate change, probably. So I think that's unfortunately a miserable reality that we can expect.
0: For sure. So yeah. Um just to, to capsulize that, uh, first off, I want to give each of these people uh, major credit because that question came out of the blue. Um, I didn't warn any of them about it, uh, but they answered it quite well. Um, and so with that, I'm going to give an easy question now to end, uh, end off the movie. Um, what's your favorite part of it? What was your favorite part? And I, well, I say this was an easier question, but, you know, get any one of you, you can... <laughs> I have more negative things to say about the movie than the positive things.
3: So then what was your least favorite? My least favorite? I'll just say a part that made me laugh. Like yeah. My boyfriend and I watched it together and we were really um, ridiculing it about it, Where, you know, he gets wounded, the reluctant hero gets, Clive gets wounded. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't want to tell the woman with the baby who he saved it, because she just gave birth and, you know, they're just desperately trying to get through all this gunfire and to the boat and um, to this, you know, hopefully realistic or actually existing ship that's going to take them to this magical place. And he's rowing them there and, you know, the baby's crying and it's apocalyptic vibes. And then they get there and they're waiting for this ship and he starts bleeding and she's like what's what's wrong with you and he admits that oh you know back there i didn't tell you but i actually got hit so bad and now i'm dying and he proceeds to die in this rowboat bobbing up and down on the like the wavy windy sea and they have no idea whether this boat is coming the big ship that's going to save them and i'm just like what was your plan man (laughs) you were just going to take this poor woman to die uh sorry for And then he dies, and then he was prepared to just let her and the baby just float in the ocean alone with no hope? I thought that was really funny.
1: Um, yeah. <laughs> I will say my favorite part is when, um, I believe she's Romanian, the woman who is in the refugee camp. Yes. Um, yes. So the Romanian woman who they, it was like has access to resources in the refugee camp and so they go to her and they will and she gets them like a safe place to stay and she's kind of seen or she's kind of portrayed as like this background character who doesn't who's kind of there um everyone doesn't really expect much of her because she doesn't speak english and she's just like babbling on um but then whenever the military guy realizes that the woman's pregnant and he goes to i can't remember exactly what happens. i don't remember if he goes to like take her away or something like that or whatever's gonna happen. And suddenly this remaining woman gets to like just bash him and then like take the wool and save the baby. I love that moment. Because mm-hmm. this woman like finally got like it's a yeah, it's a good moment. It's a good moment. Yeah, she yeah. wanted to save the baby and that she got to have that moment. Although then I hated that she didn't get in the boat with them. Yeah. Cause it would have solved the problem that Emma had with this <laughs> <laughs> yeah. ridiculous boat thing.
3: Going back to that final thought, Joel made this point earlier when we were talking about it that and this sort of links into the gender-based question you asked earlier, the midwife gets sacrificed on the bus when Mm -hmm. they start getting um, hassled by the um, immigration officers. And then she gets off the bus instead of Clive Owen, when really she is the one who's going to know how to help this woman through birth, despite the fact that nobody apparently has this knowledge, except for Clive Owen magically, and he delivers the baby. Um, And I just think that... It would have been very clear that that woman was, would have been a more appropriate um, acquaintance to have with her on this journey than Clive Owen, but of yeah. course it had, it had to be Clive Owen. It had to be Rogue Daddy.
0: had to be Rogue okay. Daddy. Well, on that, uh, I think we will take a quick break and then come back for more. All right, uh, so we're going to move on to Mad Max Fury Road. Yeah, again, uh, if you haven't seen this movie, uh, I don't know what you've been doing, but um, I highly suggest pausing here and going and watching it. Uh, However, if you'd like to just listen forward, here is a quick synopsis. Uh, The film also takes place in the dystopian future that has been ravaged by a number of wars over oil and water and has succumbed to the horrible effects of climate change. The world is a barren desert and water is a hot commodity. The story centers around three main characters, a grotesque man named Morton Joe, who has found himself in control of one of the last clean water sources known of, and has cultivated an almost deity-like devotion from a group of followers. Furiosa, a driver for Immorton Joe, who double-crosses him by stealing the women he holds captive for breeding purposes. And Mad Max, an outsider captured by Immorton Joe's followers to be used as a blood transfusion source. He gets wrapped up in Furiosa's prison break. The film is filled with references to the world that was and consists of the unlikely duo of Furiosa and Max escaping the clutches of a Morton Joe, hoping to find an oasis of sort known as the Green Place. All right, there you go.
1: Okay, so um, I think there's two main things uh, I would like to talk about this movie um, that I think relate to climate change. So the first one is a very big theme in this movie is resource control. And the idea that we are going to run out of water or green space, um, in it there are no trees, like the character of Nox. Nux? Nox. Nox? Nox. Nox that right. Um, at one point he sees a tree, he's never heard of a tree, he has no idea what to call it. You know, there's no plant life left. Um, and so and Morton, Joe controls all these resources, and he is the one with all the power because of that. Um, so that's kind of a the theme in climate change movies in general, is that there's going to be these powerful people that have everything. And then just the plebes who have nothing and are dirty and mm-hmm. at his whim, basically. Um, the thing that I think makes Mad Max a little bit different in terms of a climate change movie is that there is the reluctant hero of, of Max, who... Um, he just happens to be the right type of blood, in the right situation, at the right spot, and then ends up with Furiosa on her mission. But he also is willing to work with others. So he's not necessarily the same type of reluctant hero as in Children of Men, where he goes off on his own. And, you know, he is given, in Mad Max specifically, he is given an opportunity to go off on his own. And he chooses not to. He chooses instead to help save the world. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also, I guess there's three things. So the third thing (laughs) with Mad Max that's kind of a theme that we can discuss is um, this idea of toxic masculinity as being the problem in the world. So that's most identified in this one. There's one moment in the film where the wives are in the rig And Knox's character is being kicked out of the rig, and he, so he he's a war boy alongside all of these other male characters who worship Martin Joe, um, this like patriarch. And as he's falling out of the truck, he says, "I didn't destroy the world," and the women in the truck go, "But who did?" And then they kick him out, and it's this like kind of moment of like that, even though he's this low level man he's still part of the system and he's still part of the reason that the world is destroyed and to me that i interpreted that as that the women were the ones that are now trying to save the world they're the ones who have life literally life they're they're pregnant um and they're the ones going to get in the seeds and to save the planet it's so true that was such a poignant moment
3: i i hadn't thought of it so eloquently but it's it's so true
1: yeah um just that they do a great job of c- capturing this gender dynamic, yeah, and it's kind of like this gender dynamic of extension of how we see the world now is that these men are in control and they have been for so long, and our planet hasn't dying because of it. So who are we supposed to blame? if we don't blame them, if they don't say that they're they're to blame, if they say that they're not to blame, then who is to blame mm-hmm. Um,
0: so I, I, personally, I find that really interesting, and uh, uh, we were talking about this just for a moment before the uh, we came back in here. But the I find that really interesting. Like the, when I first watched Mad Max: Fury Road and Children of Men, the, the gender dynamic seems much more important in Children of Men to me. Like I didn't pick up on it so much in Mad Max. Um, because again, you know, it's this idea of uh, you know men have been in charge, and we meet a government official in Children of Men. Uh, who who is out to lunch, essentially, and uh, yet yeah, it's a woman who's going to save the day. It's, it's yeah. you know, and uh, I didn't really pick up on it in Mad Max, but that's really interesting way to put it, and, and I love the also, the the kind of metaphor that they include with it, the fact that when they get to where they, they're trying to get to, in order to, the, the, the green place, it's women who are there who are actually holding on to physical seeds in order to try and regrow the world. Yeah. Um, whereas the men have just been ravaging and ravaging and, and are so concerned about bullets and gas.
1: Yeah, the men are, even the ones who aren't in charge, are still caught up in this ideology of being part of that system. Mm-hmm. Like they are, what do they say, the... the the Fury, no Glory Road. Fury Road. It, 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 I yeah. die on the Fury Road. The Fury Road. is uh, the ideal for them. That's the ideal yeah. situation: is to sacrifice themselves for Immortan Joe.
0: And I, I, think there's, there's a real dynamic there too, because like, throughout the film, you hear Knox and other characters, um, uh, they get when, when they think that it's their time to die. They take a hit of what looks like maybe just silver spray paint. I don't mm-hmm. really know. Mm-hmm. Um, and they yell, witness me. Yeah. And it's this idea that, that you know, the the ultimate for them is to A, be at the attention, be the, atten- the center of attention, and then B, um, to leave this world, mm-hmm. to, to, to die in some sort of a mortal way. Whereas on the other side of it, the women are trying to, well, first of all, they're hiding when we first find them. And then second of all, it's, it's looking for a path forward. It's yeah. trying to to grow and 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 It's very interesting. It's an interesting
2: commentary on the invisible labor of women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, like, just in general in society, you know? Um, and, I don't know, I just, I think...
1: So that's actually related. I know you haven't seen the movie necessarily, but um, there is another part of the movie. So at the beginning, when they live with the and Joe, they're basically resources. So there's... They're there because they can give him babies. And then there's these other women. The only other women who are shown at the beginning that's not, not Furiosa are basically milk maids. Like they're hooked up to these like grotesque machines um, and they're just being milked. That's it. So they're also just a resource. And, and one of the things that they are transporting um, as, a, as a resource is milk. Mm-hmm. From these women.
0: It's it's referred to as mother's milk. Mother's milk. And they the, the women are referred to as um, milk
1: mothers. Yes, milk mothers, yes. Yeah. Um so and then the women, the, the wives are taught by this older female character who's supposed to be taking care of them, but she teaches them that they're not things, they're not objects. And so once they realize that, that's when they kind of hatch this plan with Furiosa to escape, essentially. And Furiosa, um, she grew up in the green space. So she knows that this other hopeful place exists. Um, so she knows where they can go and they can live separate from this hierarchical society that is completely dominated by men.
3: I, I love the idea of extending this, this toxic mascul- masculinity um, this very overt toxic masculinity they present in the movie as like a larger metaphor for like a blind following mm-hmm. and commitment to this like toxic system. But here's where I actually see a kind of like juxtaposition or or um like conflict in the movie, because we see these these war boys, and everyone other than the people trying to escape are glorifying this, this system as it is and really committed to it, like the honor, the the um spray painting themselves, witness me, all that, um, and are so interested in, committed to getting approval from the, the patriarch, what's his name? A and Joe. But then at the same time, we have this glorification of, of, um, like, cars and, and, um, action scenes and Mm -hmm. things that are very, very traditionally associated with that toxic masculinity. Mm -hmm. Like, my first thought when I ended the movie, and I'll, I'll say I loved it, like it was very well done, was I turned to my boyfriend and I said, "Is is our impending apocalypse just like a an action movie? Yeah, is it just an action scene?" And you can't deny that it's it's really fucking cool. Everyone's really cool, and and um, Charlize Theron, she's super cool in it because she has all these masculine traits that you don't normally see in. Um, leading ladies mm-hmm. she's good with guns she can drive this war rig like no one else can mm-hmm. um and you've got this like rock and roll vibe even captured with, with the, the literal kids. rock and roll guy which like made no sense to me when <laughs> when I yeah. first saw it I'm like what <laughs> is that <laughs> but there's a coolness to the to the the metal and the the desert and and I, I yeah and I find that in conflict with the the rejection of this overt masculinity as being the problem while also
1: it being so satisfying and delightful to engage with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, but that's also always a theme in these climate change movies. I like how you said like that our impending apocalypse is always an action flick because it is, that's what they always give it as. It's like we can save the world in this one, two, and a half, two to two and a half hour time slot. <laughs> in this one big action scene mm-hmm. you know even children of Men* had it too where it's like the, the escape you have to always escape um
0: if i can just build out that really quick i also think it actually speaks really well too um so one thing that you you, you see pretty early on in the movie and it, you know you can pick it up your, your own way but the the main characters of this movie um particularly the heroes i should say uh mad max furiosa and uh the uh, uh wives are all extremely attractive people yes you know um Charlize Theron, for instance an absolutely beautiful actress the the wives i'm pretty sure they're all actual supermodels oh they are yeah, yeah. Uh, right so like they were brought in for this role um whereas on the other side of it morton joe extremely grotesque mm-hmm. the, the the leaders of the other tribes that come into it extremely grotesque you know the 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 um, cannibal who owns the bullet farm, for instance. Just disgusting to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, but then on the other side, all of the, uh, uh, for lack of a better word, nobodies who, um, you know, are, are below a Morton Joe, the people who, who are scrounging for water, the people who just kind of live at the base of, this, of his kind of structure. And, and, and I, when we see them at the end of the movie, they're, they're uh, deformed and it kind of messed up. And I think a lot of this speaks to this idea that, and again, coming back to what you were just saying about how these climate change films try and summarize that, you know, the world can be saved in this two to three hour window. It's also, they're, they're making it sexy. They're, they're, they're yeah. trying to make the saving of the world sexy. And it's like, you know, what does that mean? And like, what are your thoughts on that? I guess it's just where I'm going with that. Do you think that's that's hypocritical or do you think it's like, you know, are they, is that just a tool to try and get people to think saving the world's cool, man. You know, you should get on it, you know, or, or, you know. I
1: think, it's just, I think it's just a tool to get butts in the seat to watch the movie because yeah. you're going to go watch Charlize Theron look gorgeous and kick ass. Mm-hmm. Um, no one can rock a robotic arm like her. No, nobody. <laughs> or like forehead spray paint. Yeah. Um, but I always thought, it's interesting you say that, the difference between the wives and the like deformed masses, basically. Um, they, it do, they don't explain why the women are so pristine, except for the fact that I guess they were coddled through their whole life. But the other side of this movie is that the world is being poisoned, mm. which is why all these deformities are happening. Mm. Um, you know, the talk, tox- the earth is yeah. toxic. And so these these chemicals that are just everywhere, and they're just in the water, they're in the soil, they're, they're hurting everybody. Um, and so this kind of goes to the fertility thing, too, is that, like, every baby that is born is born with a deformity. Um, but they never explain why the wives don't have a deformity. So it's true, they do just make it sexy. Yeah, weird, but I mean, there's a
0: good point, too, because when you look at a Morton Joe's sons, and you see a couple of them in the movie... Um, one is is uh, uh, quite deformed to the point that you know he's in a, a special chair and he's not mm-hmm. able to actually move. Um, and, and and then his other son, who is is just an extremely strong, massive man, um, it looked. It, I mean, they betray him at the very least, like he has, has some sort of, of uh, mental disability mm-hmm. um, and breathing problems. Too, and breathing so he problems, has to, exactly yeah. right. Uh, so it's this kind of a. It, it's a great point. It's like why, why are the wives so pristine? I think you could also put that though, uh, perhaps that he's the, the, the director's trying to say that these women from an early age weren't seen as beautiful mm. and were therefore saved for breeding purposes, whereas all the other ones were shipped off to be milk mothers.
3: What I find interesting is I it sounds like you're actually saying two different things here. Okay. You're saying that the movie represents saving the world as the sexy they make saving the world sexy but you're saying that the apocalypse is made sexy yeah and i think both things happen here it yeah. sexifies the, the whole the whole thing and leads leads us all to think that when it comes maybe we can be the pristine ones
1: maybe we can be the sexy heroes yeah and and we don't need to be worried about the other ones interesting but then that's also something i like about Mad Max that because they have an opportunity to go off on their own and forget about everybody else. But instead they choose to turn around and save the world.
3: Hold on, hold on. They don't they don't actually choose well the, they though the no, story is
1: that is that what they're running towards is unknown to exist. No, isn't unknown. It no, doesn't no. exist. I'm not talking about when they get to the green place. The green oh, place doesn't exist. Okay. But then they have the other opportunity of going over the Flatlands, mm-hmm. the flatlands, whatever that, like, mucky place is. Mm-hmm. Um, and they could continue. Like, they go through that discussion of, like, we could just go. But then then that's when I believe it's Max who realizes that, like, actually we could go back where the, where we know that there is water and there are people. And we could go back and change things. Because if Morton Joe is no longer there, mm-hmm. the patriarch's gone, we can disrupt all of that system. And they do choose to go back. Um, and so they
3: this is what I like most about the movie because yeah. it totally is the opposite from my complaint about Children of Men, Children of Men where there's somewhere beautiful to escape to what I love most about this movie is that they all had to face that their hope was dead mm-hmm. and that there was no repairing the situation to what could have been beforehand and that they had to go back and deal with the society that they had to deal with and the limited resources and the, and the the, the environmental situation. Yeah. And that, and that's what they had to work with. Mm-hmm. And I think that's more much closer to what our future as a, as a world is going to look like with climate change management.
1: Yeah. It's this idea that we have to overthrow, like we're, we only have one world. We have to live where we live, but we have to disrupt the thing that is causing the harm, and it's not necessarily that in this movie getting rid of the born Joe is going to solve their problems. They still have a resource issue. They're still the world is still toxic, mm-hmm. um, but the the hope is that if they come together, and through community, they can at least have a slightly better world mm-hmm. than what they they what they came from. Mm-hmm.
0: I think I think it also speaks to this idea that sorry. sorry. <coughs> Um, I think it also speaks to this idea that, uh, you know, the movie, the the final act of the film is them turning around to go back um, and they, they kill a Morton Joe. Mm -hmm. And it's when they show everybody that the dictator is dead, um, that they open up the floodgates and water is shared. And it's this idea that sharing resources and instead of just hoarding them or, or trying to seize power for yourself, sharing them at the end is, is what, you know, everybody celebrates. Mm -hmm. it's this idea that, that, you know, we should try and conserve, of course. Um, there's only so much water. But sharing it at the end is, is ultimately what people think we should do. You know, and do you have any thoughts on that?
1: It goes towards the... Yeah, I really enjoy that part of the movie. And then it, it's also another part of the movie um, where it's actually love that's going to save us. Mm-hmm. Love and caring for each other. Because there's that moment when Knox gets taken in by the wives... And initially he is just full of rage and wants to be, wants to just show himself to Martin Joe and prove himself and do the witness me. And then the red haired wife um, says, no, you're going to stay with us and I'll take care of you. And she like helps him, even though he's like very reluctant about it. And then because of that love, that's why he turned over the truck, blocked the, other men sacrifice themselves in a different way, mm. still like kind of being sacrificed on the Fury Road. But this time his goal was saving everybody else. So we're, we're to see him more as a hero. Um, and that that act of initial love from her is what saves the it? world. Compassion is the same. Compassion, yeah. 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 It's yeah, a really interesting great. arc. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, if we can just go back to one of your, your first points then, uh, Originally, you mentioned how this movie kind of portrays the idea of the haves and the Mm have-nots. I don't know if you want to expand on that anymore, uh, but personally, I found that really interesting. This idea that you know there was there was these couple epicenters of people with a lot. You know, there's the Bullet Farm. There's the 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 I can't remember exactly what it's called, but it's the place with what they refer to as, as uh, Gozolina, yeah, um, and I think it's called Gas Town. Yeah, oh, yeah. Gas Town, that makes sense. Um, and and Morton Joe's compound, um, and this idea that that there's these you know three sort of dictators who control their area, and there's tons of people who just kind of scrounge there.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, it's the idea that the concentration of power inevitably goes to these people who are the most brutal. So a thing I like about the Mad like this is the Mad Max series in general is if you watch them all. You can see that progression. Um, You know, the first movie is, when I was a kid, I watched the first movie. I thought Australia was just a terrible place. I didn't realize (laughs) it was an apocalypse movie. So, like, it's, like, kind of on the brink of being a society, but then it's, it's also starting to crumble because of these resource issues. And then as the movies go along, there are these different encampments, and in the first few movies, there's more of them. Um, there's all these kind of like rogue gangs that are going around and trying to scavenge for gas or whatever. But then now in Fury Road, it's gotten down to basically three. Mm. And so it's this concentration of power and wealth over resources um, that has kind of like inevitably happened as the world crumbles. Um.
0: Mm-hmm. Excellent. Uh, so um, I'm just actually going to go back to uh, the question. I mentioned already Godzilla. Um, there's a lot of really interesting terms in this movie. Uh, and this idea that each one kind of comes back to, uh, it's, like the, it's like they're trying to comment on the world that we're in right now. So for instance, um, there's a point in the film where Knox, uh, uh, you know, it's after he was supposed to die, but doesn't. He, he messes up his jump or something and he's stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, and then one of the wives finds him. And she's like, well, you know, are you okay? Or she sees him kind of crying. And he's like, I'm supposed to be McFeasting in the, the Fury Road right now, uh, which I thought was a very clever choice of wording. Uh, but then there's also things like guzzolina, uh, which is, you know, it's this idea of, of guzzling this, this gas. You know, the fact that, that we're, we're using so much of it and stuff like that. Uh, and then finally, aqua cola, uh, which is what they use to refer to water. Um, anyway, I just wanted to get your opinion on those type of terms, and and yeah. you know, what do you think he was trying to say? I
1: think I think he was kind of trying to say that there's this like lingering cultural imagination from like the before times that gets watered down throughout the the progression of the films, mm-hmm. but then also maybe the lingering power of capitalism yeah. that even though. There's no branding in uh, in Mad Max world, um, but these like ideas are so powerful in our culture that they still like McFeasting is ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that like McDonald's still has a hold on our imagination even after the world is over. It's falling apart. It's kind of even extra dystopian.
2: <laughs>
3: a little bit. Maybe accurate. Maybe yeah, yeah, accurate. And
2: even the idea of the Alka Cola. That hits a little close to home, though, because, like, in Latin America, for example, um, a lot of places have really poor access to drinking water, clean drinking water. And a lot of it is kind of need to have bottled water, but bottled water is expensive. And in a lot of places, soft drinks are cheaper than water. Mm. So when you say agua in, like, rural Guatemala, for example, it means pop. Interesting. Oh. Because you have more access to pop. They do to clean wow. water. So, like, my accent sucks because I learned French before Spanish. But um, like, if you want water, you have to say, like, pure water, like, agua pura, instead oh, of, like, agua, because agua would be a coke.
1: That's wild. Yeah. Oh.
2: So, it's like, so kind of related. So, so but, it's yeah. not like this made up thing. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. in certain rural areas, like, and poor areas, haves mm-hmm. have, have nots, um, mm-hmm. you know, that's already a reality in that sense it's less about climate change i think and more about just inequality and um, because that has been happening for a long time but it know? does
1: it does go back to the resource control though too yeah. because a lot of these places the water resource is there but just owned by i don't know if this is the case there but like you know like nestle owns water resources in a bunch of locations and so people they end up charging for the water and so we can't access that anymore so we end up drinking other things instead because the water is more expensive. Um, but that kind of happens in this in this movie. It's represented in this movie a little bit with the Morton Joe controlling the water. And so then what they have access to might not be called water mm-hmm. necessarily. They, they don't have that as often. There's like that one time a day he opens the... Actually, I don't even think it's one time a day. It's like maybe once a week maybe or something. That he opens them not to get addicted to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Actually, that's also interesting when he's mm-hmm. telling them, blaming blaming them for not having access to the water yeah. that like you can't be reliant on this even though it is essential to your living mm-hmm. um it's mine mm-hmm. don't get addicted to it
3: i mean that too like speaks volumes about affordability of energy and mm-hmm. yeah. yeah so i think they do a great job of interweaving that stuff without making it so overt that it hits you over the head mm-hmm. yeah
0: well, uh, I you know, I think I'll, I'll consider that my tough question. Uh, it was kind of out of nowhere. But um, um, I will end up, once again, which is asking, you know, what's your, what was your favorite part of the movie? Or your least favorite, if we want to... I mean, you guys have already said so many great things about it. So <laughs> what was your least favorite part
1: of this one? My least favorite part. Um, what, what, what
0: what got you frustrated? If there is a part.
1: I don't know if I have a least favorite part of this movie cause I really love this movie. I will say another one of my favorite parts in this movie, mm-hmm. and this goes back to the reluctant mm-hmm. hero thing, is that... that in this movie, he is willing to give up power. There's that moment where uh, Max is going to take the shot, like, and it's really far away, and he's holding the gun, and then he sees Furiosa behind him, and he realizes that she is the better shot, and so he becomes a tripod basically for her, and so she she puts the gun on his shoulder to steady it, and then she takes the shot, and it's successful. So it's this idea that he doesn't fall into the toxic masculinity theme in the the rest of the men in the movie that he's actually willing to give up power to this woman mm-hmm. um, who he recognizes as superior. All right. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I think we'll do lead... let... oh. well, yeah, I was going to Go ahead. Well, actually this leads me to another
3: question. I I ahead. Yeah, which is what do we what do we think about the non-sexualization of Charlie's Theron's character given that mm-hmm. she is like clearly a woman? Um, I one thing that that I did think about was you're very aware of the sexual vulnerability of the of the wives and the, the, they're called the treasures, right? Um, you know they're half naked all the time, they're pregnant, one of them is cut open because he wants to see the baby. It's very clear that they need protection to a certain extent from like sexual violence. Mm. They're very overt in their acknowledgement that these women have experienced sexual violence. And when we think about the, like, war and um, when everything falls apart, sexual violence is a huge part of, of war and um, destabilization. And so one thing that I wasn't sure that would be fully resolved, or attended to, rather, is the fact that this woman is in a leadership position. Mm-hmm. She's the tough one. She's taking, being part of this war but they somehow managed to not make her sexually vulnerable.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I never thought of that before. Mm-hmm. But she is... She, there, there is kind of a hint at her... The way that she's become... Actually, they don't really go into her background very much at all. But there is the idea that she's, she's had to become this powerful to protect herself. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if that's part of it. Is that mm-hmm. because she has power in this other way, that she's the best rig driver out there, Mm -hmm. or war rig driver, um, that that power she's able to leverage so that she's not vulnerable in this other way. Mm -hmm.
0: I think for myself watching the movie, I always took her, um, I guess, power to come from, uh, we noticed early on that she's amputated. Mm -hmm. She's lost an arm. So I think that's at least this might have just been me making up a story for her because, as you mentioned, they don't really go into it. But I always imagine that maybe she was amputated at a young age. And when she was amputated, obviously she could not become one of the wives because uh, she lost her perfection.
1: I, I, uh, I don't think that she was amputated. It was more probably that she was born with that. Perhaps. Which would even be more of a reason why she wouldn't be picked to be a wife sure. in this world where the wives are perfect. Yeah,
0: and then I think so, perhaps, you know, at that point, she kind of had, or well, she may have saw herself as a choice. It's like, I can either um, get tough, learn to drive, become one of the best road warriors there are, or I can become a moat plunder, or I can just scrounge for water with everybody else. And I think her story here is this one of, of uh, just self-triumph. hmm
3: Something to think about, I'll have to think <laughs> about that. Yeah. but um, just to answer your question with regard to like my favorite moment of the movie, um, there wasn't a specific moment, but what I found most poignant is how they uh, represented acceptance because, yeah. like we spoke about, they you know get to their destination, and the future and the place they thought was there is not there. And they all have to make peace with that. And this, and in this decision to go back and, um, you know, face the the devil they know versus the devil they don't know, um, that that hit emotionally hard for me, given my own personal relationship with climate change and constantly making peace with the fact that we can't go back and we just have to work with what we have, and that can sometimes feel difficult for me. So. I appreciated the fact that it felt communal in a sense that they were accurately representation representing the, the acceptance that has to happen uh, to move forward. For sure.
0: Well, uh, with that, I think we're going to take one more break, and then we'll come back for our final movie. All right. So uh, we are going to move on to Don't Look Up. Uh, once again, if you haven't seen this movie, I highly suggest you pause go watch it and come back. Um, But in case you haven't, uh, here is a quick synopsis. This film takes place in today's society and is a satire of the current socio-political environment of the Western world. The story consists of two scientists discovering a meteor that is going to wipe out the world and the struggle they have to go through in order to get not only the general public but also the people in charge to believe them. Corruption, capitalism, greed, and vanity are all omnipresent and eventually lead to the world's destruction. This metaphor for climate change showcases caricatures, real-life leaders in the spheres of technology, science, politics, pop culture, and news, and results in the world ending because capitalism and the dissemination of misleading information leads to global distrust and inaction. With that, uh, Peyton, this is your movie. Where would you like to start? Okay, so I think
2: it's best to start with the end because I think that's what sets it apart for me from a lot of other climate change movies and not that they aren't good in other ways not every climate change movie is necessarily activism you know they can be used as purely entertainment with just climate change undertones um and not to say this movie's that good because everybody seemed to hate it, which I think we should get into why it's so universally hated um, after. But I think the ending is one thing that I really liked as a vehicle for climate change is that it didn't have some miraculous, miracle ending of, oh no, we're saved. Gotcha. We kind of went down this horrible path and we saw all these horrible things happening and they kind of came to ahead and you kind of think everybody is, you kind of think based on movies you've seen before that all these bad things are happening, bad things are happening, bad things are happening, but they're good people so somehow at the end they're going to be saved. But there's a moment where they're all sitting at the table at the end and they close their eyes thinking and you think they're going to open them and the world's going to be spared or something and mm-hmm. they're good people so they're going to survive and it just ends. Yeah, And I think that's a good depiction of reality that climate change, there is no easy fix. There is no sparing of a select few that it hits everybody. It doesn't, it's not contained by borders or anything. So I think it's more realistic that way. And I appreciated that even though it doesn't make for a good movie. Mm -hmm.
0: Um, Well, I mean, you know, who's to say that it doesn't, right? I mean, I, 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 I think um, you hit the nail on the head at the beginning, saying that you know this movie was was widely disliked uh, for many different reasons. Uh, but uh, I, I I think I agree with you there, and it, it kind of contrasts the other two movies quite well, and that you know they both end with some sort of uh, uh, hopeful undertone, whereas this movie it almost kind of of uh, shouts at the viewer: there's not going to be a miraculous save. There isn't. A way out besides doing something
2: yeah i think it's interesting because emma was talking about how like this movie sucks like whatever you know um but one of the criticisms she had of the movie that maybe sucked less was why is our apocalypse your entertainment like your action flick you know and i think that isn't what this movie is mm-hmm. it's as depressing as
4: climate change, change actually <laughs> is you know
2: so i think looking at like why these movies were made and the purposes like this movie like adam mckay he made this movie as like a passion project like if this movie wasn't to make money necessarily like i listened to a podcast of him talking about this movie and like what made urged him to make it and he kind of fell into a rabbit hole of climate change and was incredibly depressed i was like what can i do to with my skills make the world more aware of this, you know? So like his vehicle, this movie for him was a vehicle of activism, uh, which I think is directly contrasted by other movies that maybe are more easily persuaded to have the miraculous ending that's more that leaves the viewer with the happy feeling versus leaving the viewer with uh, the world sucks. We're all, like, there's no out for us, right? Because nobody's going to go home from paying $25 for a ticket um, to be like, hey, you should go see this movie because they're going to be like, oh, I left feeling like crap. Yeah. You
3: know, so. I have to jump in here. This really leads well into um, something I wanted to say about the movie, which, like, I agree with you that it's clear that this movie has a different objective than the other ones. The other ones, it's primarily entertainment with undertones of climate change. Um, but this movie, like, I, I couldn't help but wonder whether it, it failed its objective because there were so many um, political messages in this movie that bothered me because, you know, going back to this topic we we touched on um, with regard to, like, who, who are the right people, um, it was really clear to me that this movie was just preaching to the choir. It was like clearly um, making a statement about the problem are the the Republicans are these specific type of Americans who are not like in a liberal class and it just left me wondering whether if it's if it had the objective of being advocacy um, who is it really reaching I don't think it's the anyone who was suspicious about climate change or wasn't
1: just already a bleeding liberal about this. I, I think this movie brings up, related to this, like brings up a good point of like, so how, or you bring up a good point for this, is like, so how do we get people on board with climate change? So this movie is trying to do it, I think, in a way that like shames everybody and like makes them really like, not afraid, that's not the right, not the right, but, like, really um, depressed about it. Like, you're, like, you're. it's basically telling everybody, like, you're so stupid, you're just paying attention to all these other things that don't matter. Why aren't you paying attention to climate change? But the biggest problem of climate change is getting everybody on board with one mission. Mm-hmm. And so, is this movie doing that? Is a movie that ends in hope doing that? Like, there's no, I don't know if there's one solution. That's, like, it's the eternal problem of Climate scientists in general is like how do we get everybody caring about this? Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. I think um, this movie, it, like it, it brings you brought you brought forward two kind of ideas there. One is who this movie portrays as the hero, who this movie portrays as the good people, you know, and it's it's the 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 uh, doctor and the master's student, um, in Leo and uh, Jennifer Lawrence, and sort of how. Those two are the ones trying to save the world. And what does that say about everybody else um, and, and what their part is in trying to save the world? Um, and then also it brings up the idea of who's this movie for, um, which you just kind of uh, 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 spoke to a little bit. And it's this idea of like, you know, is this movie for people who care about climate change? Because at that point, like, you know, what was really the director's point? It's, it's again, supposed to just kind of be entertaining. But at the end, it's actually quite depressing. Or is this movie for people who don't really believe in climate change? And it's, well, if it's for them, it's extremely insulting. So why would they take something away from this? You know? Or is, is it is it he's hoping that, you know, it'll be a, a knock on the head and, and all of a sudden they'll go, oh, geez, I never really thought of it like that. You know? And, and I don't know if that's going to happen. <laughs> or is it he's hoping you know, they'll see it and they'll go, my God, we've all been idiots this whole time or is it just going to make them angry and hopefully conversations will break out? Like, what do you think the director was trying to do?
2: I think, like, having an all-or-nothing kind of approach to things isn't helpful. You know what I mean? Like, I don't think anybody goes into a movie and leaves with the same feelings or same takeaways you know like i go into a movie with somebody and i leave falling my eyes out and the other person's like oh okay like what was what's your problem kind of thing so i think everybody has different responses to a movie okay. one and i think to me as somebody who does care about my change, when i watched the movie my biggest problem was that it was like way too long it was just went on forever and it could have been half the length but i did appreciate a lot of the connections to actual problems that we have in the climate change space, you know, like when we can get into those later. Like um, the whole scene about turning the rock and turning the rockets or missiles or whatever they were around um, mm-hmm. when they were actually potentially able to solve the problem because of capitalism you know so i think that's another discussion but i don't think there necessarily has to be one audience i think most movies nobody expects there to be one singular audience makes sense i think all movies hit different people differently and i don't think there's any harm in trying even if you're not fully successful like even if it hits some people and they are like oh wow that's depressing like I act like I care, you know, and I say that I care about climate change and everything, but like what are our areas that I am being misled and where are areas that I also only want to hear the good news and I only want to do this. I don't know. I, I just think that we don't have that high of expectations on other areas, but then we have a movie that like, and we just expect that they're going to hit everything perfectly and nail the target audience and do all these things that I don't I don't think it's fair.
0: I think that's a, a great point. You know, it, it, you know, is it true? Do we have a too high of an expectation on climate change films? And does that speak to, you know, the, the, the type of, you know, society that, 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 or I can say society, the type of type of people that we associate ourselves with, you know, we, obviously each of us care about climate change. That's why we're here. So do we go into this movie expecting too much from it? You know, did we go we hear that, you know, Adam McKay is making some kind of change film? And all of a it's like, well, geez, you know, I, I hope this is some sort of world changing thing.
1: I do actually think part of probably the reason why we maybe hated this movie more than others is we are aware of a lot of the problems that he points out in this movie. And so it just seems a little repetitive and a little like too on the nose. Whereas people who aren't interested in climate change, they might not think about how, you know, capitalism impacts uh, our resource extraction and destroys the planet or how these different political things interact. And so maybe that was what kind of he was extending to
2: do. Yeah, and I think, like, just the nature that is Adam McKay and, like, somebody whose normal target audience are potentially not people who are climate change scholars you know like he made stepbrothers and grown-ups and movies like that you know I didn't know that (laughs) yeah yeah like his normal movies are like comedies and so even if the people aren't coming in and leaving me like I'm a climate change warrior or whatever just the fact that maybe he could pull in an audience combined like with his name but also with all those big names, even if everyone's like, oh, it's the worst performance of their career, all these things, it still draw people in. And I don't know, to me, I'm like, is it horrible to have somebody who wasn't doing anything about climate change anyway to come in and be like, oh, climate change is depressing, and then leave? I don't think it's a net negative.
3: But backlash is real.
2: And I,
3: I love this idea that you know we we're just for us, it was too on the nose because we understand how these dynamics play out and how it could be an educational um, yeah. experience for, for someone who hasn't thought of it in that way. Like, I, I think that's a great point. I can't get over though the debating of certain class and political spheres that happens within the movie because it's one thing to show how different players with different um, priorities just screw everything up um, when they. can't really resolve them in a a way that's, you know, focused on the collective. But it's another thing to point at and like mock people who are like Trump supporters, for example, we have a huge problem where people are aligned with Trump because they reject so viciously the alienation they feel by other political um, ideologies Mm -hmm. and classes. And I don't think it's helpful or I, I just worry that it's not helpful um, to mock so, so overtly uh, Trump and, and Trump's followers. Um, and then also, like there's there's weirder class symbolism that I can't quite make, make sense of. For example, at the very end, everyone's naked once they get onto this new planet and they and they leave the spaceship. Um, and Meryl Streep, the, the Trump president character. You see her nude back and she has a lower back, like a really tacky lower back tattoo that you would associate with a certain class of person. Um, And I just can't help but feel like there's a mocking pointing towards the class of people that fit in with that and are more likely to be aligned with Trump's values and more likely to not be interested in climate change action. And I do think backlash is something we can expect from uh, that kind of finger point.
0: Uh, just to reiterate, it's almost like you're saying, um, you feel like that was an unnecessary jab.
3: Yeah. yeah. Or I worry that it is. Yeah. You worry that it was an yeah. Necessary jab. Just because we have such, such political
2: polarization. I guess to me, I, I can totally see your point. I just don't really feel like there's any difference of it existing. And everybody talks about it anyway. How many times has Trump brought out in conversations in Canada? Everybody knows about it. Everybody talks about it. It's already polarizing. I think he's trying to just kind of make a joke out of it in this, like, satirical way. Um, And I think it's weird to get sensitive about it in this one movie when, like, it's joked about in almost every movie nowadays. There's, like, a class division with... Trump supporters and non-Trump supporters.
1: Interesting.
2: I feel like it's brought up in all of yeah. If you
1: keep adding on to the problem, the problem gets bigger. Right? Who's
2: job is it to solve the problem? Is it climate change activists' job to solve the problem?
3: But isn't that what activism... I I guess it all comes down to objective. If it's activism as in bringing attention, but not actually seeking to mobilize, sure. But if you're seeking to bring together and mobilize, and if you're... I think most climate change advocates understand that um, coming together and working together is a huge problem, a huge thing that we need to fix. And so, if his objective
2: isn't that, whats is it? maybe that? he feels like they're a lost cause anyway. I, I
0: I think sure maybe I think there's somewhat of a solution here between those two points, and it's the idea that um, and you kind of um, uh, Peyton, you you sort of uh, alluded to it earlier. It's that maybe he's not. He's not looking to capture everybody. He's not looking to mobilize everybody. Mm -hmm. He was hoping, or well, perhaps he was hoping to mobilize the the people who were on the line, the people who would have seen this as a joke, but also saw that this, you know, clearly this is a big issue. People who don't really think about this every day. Uh, Of course, there's those who will see it and think, obviously, they're making fun of me. Why would I care? But perhaps those weren't his target. The target was the people right in the middle
3: yeah okay that that would make sense to me because especially with with regard to the the metaphor of the comet or is it a comment
2: uh, that's right because what it, all it all does
3: it. is it takes this problem that is slow burning and making it very cute mm-hmm. and so I, I i take your point being that people who are interested in it want to do something about it don't really know how don't really want to give up their car but Or also, you know, lazy or have some kind of inertia. Yeah, making the problem more acute could light the fire under someone's butt in a certain uh, sense. Um,
0: Another thing that I was hoping to chat about with this movie, and and you mentioned it a little bit just before we we got to recording again, is there's an element in this film about uh, attention spans. And um, I find it really funny, a few minutes ago you mentioned that you thought the movie was too long. And that, that, you know, it could have been shorter. And yet also in the film, there's such a, a, a just like a, an overwhelming um, commentary on the little things that matter and how it, they're constantly distracting from climate change and stuff like that. For instance, uh, uh, throughout the movie, Jennifer Lawrence makes comment to the fact that uh, at the beginning of the movie, um, a, a five-star general uh needlessly rob them of, you know, five or six dollars over snacks. And she keeps coming back to it. She keeps coming back to it, despite the fact that the world is going to end. But yet, that's the one thing that keeps replaying in her mind. And then there's also the whole story uh, with the newscasters and how, you know, uh, their story, the, the, the story of the meteor gets bumped because uh, the Ariana Grande character and her boyfriend uh, uh, break up and they want to... They want to show them coming back together and and have that moment and just, and it's only after that takes place that they make time for the media story
1: or the sex scandal with the Supreme Court judge exactly and how they get, they get bumped meeting the president because they have to deal with this Supreme Court judge nomination fiasco mm-hmm.
0: and I guess just sort of this idea that that climate change is still something that can be put on the back burner or that that nobody's attention span is there anymore to worry about this they have they just want to think about the next thing.
3: Hmm. Well, first of all, I just want to say that Jennifer Lawrence's obsession with that minutia—I <laughs> love that—was so relatable to <laughs> me. <laughs> um. Yeah, I think, in my opinion, it says less about our ability to get distracted, and more about the fact that life is multifaceted, and that we have the the foreground and the future um, to both have focus on Mm -hmm. yeah that's as deep as I can get on (laughs)
0: Um,
3: I agree with that though it's
1: just like there's like this is the whole thing with climate change everyone's like you have to worry about this so much all the time but you also just can't like your mind can't think about doom and gloom all day long mm -hmm. you need to have these little Distractions. distractions and enjoyment in life because also if you just worry about the world ending what enjoyment are you having in your day to day
2: and I really appreciated a kind of a behind the scenes look even though it's a fake because it's a movie um, of I think I've heard a lot of people say like oh if it was really that big of an issue we'd be hearing about it all the time would be like all over the news nobody would be able to stop talking about it like, if it was really that big of an issue, I think I've heard Emma say this before, why is not it on the radio? Why don't people know about it? All these things, you know? And I think having that behind-the-scenes look of these newscasters and the two researchers being on the show and then Jennifer Lawrence's character, um, they want it. sorry, not Jennifer Lawrence's character, but the newscasters want the show to be peppy and fun and exciting and, like, tell us the news, but, like, Keep it happy. Keep it light. Happy, yeah. keep it yeah. light. Um, and she fails in that because it's not a light topic. It is incredibly depressing and acute. Um, and then they say, you can come back anytime to Leonardo DiCaprio's character because he kept the light. But, like, you, you, you're you not <laughs> welcome back, you know? And I think that really shed some light on... maybe That's one reason why we're not hearing about it that much as, like, a concept. Like, we hear about natural disasters all the time you know of forest fires and droughts and floods and all these things but when it comes to actually talking about climate change it's like that that's bad, bad ratings, you know so i think maybe that would be good for the masses maybe we think about that sometimes but maybe the masses don't think about that so i think that was a good thing to kind of expose um
1: related to that is um the moment when they meet with the president finally, and she says, "Like, oh, you guys are the third meeting this week where the where the world's going to end." And so there's also this other thing where in the media, every single potentially bad thing becomes terrifying, and it becomes like clickbait that you have to click through um, and like see how the world's going to end in this other way. Like, for example, like I mean, the COVID was COVID was a thing that you know, disrupt our lives completely, but then in the aftermath of that, every single new virus that was discovered became this like over the top thing that was going to destroy our lives again. You know, so like and then everybody and everyone's terrified, so they click on it and they like want to read about it and everything. So it's also like so overwhelming that you can't keep having these like every single thing can't be doom and gloom. But that's not how the media works it's that that was kind of touched on in this like in it as well
2: yeah and i think it's also interesting like just on the topic of like the president and kind of categorizing the importance of things and like maybe like the satire of the movie kind of makes it extra like whoa, well, why is that so important when this is obviously more important but how in the movie, and I think this is mirror, a true mirror of real life, is that everything comes second to capitalism. Mm. Everything. Mm-hmm. And, like, for me, the, the most poignant, and I think maybe this was missed on a lot of people because not everybody is immersed in, like, climate science and, like, the global governance and elements of everything. But the point where they're... They have the comet coming and everybody's mobilized to create these rockets that are going to um hit the comet and like break it up into smaller chunks you know so it's like this isn't a miracle fix but like these chunks will be manageable and like maybe will not be great but we can deal with it um and everybody's like worked really hard on this and like they're on the launch day and they're going and they're going in the right direction and Everybody's excited, and then the guy who I think is supposed to be Elon Musk kind of Yeah, guy. He's,
0: he's kind of like a, like a combination of like Musk with like a little bit of... Uh, Bezos. Uh, Bezos. Steve so Jobs. Steve Jobs. Yeah. 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 Um, Jim um, Cook.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: Who really, I don't know why he was there. I think that's also a commentary of like, why is he in the room with the president?
1: Well, they do say that he gave the mo- he was the highest donator, so he has full access to everything. He's he's referred yeah. to, he's
0: referred to as a um, it's like a super eagle donor, yeah, or something like that. Well, like yeah. That's the term they give him. Yeah.
2: yeah, still begs the question: Why are you there um, when this military action is happening? Even if you donate a ton of money, that's another commentary altogether. But he asks for a sidebar with the president at that very particular moment. They go into a private room, discuss, and then everybody's watching TV and they're like, oh, it looks like it's malfunctioning. It looks like they're turning around. And everyone's like, no, no, they couldn't be turning around. And without consulting anybody, the president makes the call based on this billionaire character who's supposed to be any number of people, um, his capitalist proposal mm-hmm. you know and then afterwards they're in a meeting room and she's like it's going to be better guys it's going to be better don't worry it's going to be better and he comes in and he explains that essentially his unfound technology is going to mine the meteor for precious metals and that's going to solve world property and there's um uh, nobel prize people like just name dropping all these nobel prize winners and all these things up and everybody's just buys in automatically. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an exact commentary of like what geoengineering and what all these um, golden tickets. Um, technical fixes. Yeah, technical fixes are going to climate changes that maybe we actually, if we changed our behaviors, we have the media broken up into these more manageable chunks. Um, but instead we're like, put off that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and and to mine the mirror <laughs> and
3: to just be specific like you're referring to these techno fixes of, of solar solar engineering and uh, carbon capture, capture and, yeah. and sequestration mm-hmm. which is often used just for deeper um oil and gas mining so um
0: yeah um just very to, very real
2: yeah life issues here and, and, of, and they're very unfounded like their technology theoretically exists but there isn't actually usable technology there but decisions are being made on the basis that that will be there to save us and it's not there yet and that's scary and i think the movie does a good job of demonstrating that yeah
0: i think um and and just to to to, um clarify quickly um the 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 original plan to send the rockets up is to actually full-on uh shift the propulsion of the meteor so it misses earth the techno fix is is he's going to drill it and it's going to break up into thirty some odd small chunks that can hit the earth in particular ocean areas and then those those chunks can be mined um, for billions of dollars and it'll it'll be it'll be um, manageable. Uh, so it's this idea of profit over um, um, uh, uh, what will be manageable and the idea um there's commentary throughout the movie of like there's little words little phrases thrown in like i heard you know he paid um uh, uh the the coast or he, he paid ecuador um you know 30 billion dollars to allow the tidal wave from one meteor to hit them or something like that mm. right um, which is
1: kind of related to like carbon sequestration like we're paying these other countries should not cut down their trees so that we can cut down their, our trees here. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm.
0: And, and that kind of dynamic, which is just insane power. Yeah. Um, but I totally hear what you're saying. And it's, 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 it's a really great commentary on how, um, these sort of, of, of techno fixes, um, and and the, the the quest for more capital um, and the idea of like, hey, you know we'll just we'll, pay, we'll spend so much money here so that we can keep making money there. Um, and how it's not really going to solve the problem. It's just going to redirect it.
3: On this note, what I found interesting in the film is you know that that scene where they they have become privy to this new change plan that the president and the, the technological guru character have have made. And they're the um, Jennifer Lawrence character, Leo, um, the NASA scientist. They're they're in a bar and they're discussing, you know, how to how to approach this. And Leo's sort of indoctrinated a little bit on the on the um, doability of the plan. And they're discussing it, and and some people in the bar over here, and they get upset and they're really suspicious of this technology, despite the fact that it's being, um, you know, in the media being. Said that it's going to work and it's reliable and there's no there's no risk, and then there's this um, like uproar in the bar and it leads to a riot and there's a lot of disruption and that kind of rubbed me the wrong way because, or maybe it just felt like it wasn't accurate of how I think society reacts to these um, techno fixes when they're presented. I do think that people truly seem to like people I speak do treat seem to believe that they can work and that the risks are low and that this information about how risky they actually are and how unlikely they actually are to be reliable, uh, it's not really something that people respond to or or are curious about. And so the fact that there was this riot in this bar because there's this plan and people want to be involved with with it,
1: it just felt sort of unrealistic. I think that riot as a little bit of a different reason for it, though. I thought it was because Jennifer Lawrence's character was like, oh, it's they, It's just money. They just they didn't shoot down the rocket. I thought they were reacting because they realized the reason they didn't shoot down the rocket or shoot down the asteroid was because of this rich guy wanting money. Mm-hmm. And she reveals that to the people in the bar as they're sitting around. And that's why they rioted. They mm-hmm. it rioted through the anger that like there was this thing that was going to save them and it got taken away from them mm-hmm. because of some rich guy.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Um, just to, to, to throw one last question out there, uh, mm-hmm. one element following that that I thought was really interesting was, so Leo stays on the project, and he thinks of it as his kind of way in, um, but eventually he gets kicked off. And he's kicked off because he doesn't, he doesn't let up on the question whether or not any of this material mm-hmm. is peer-reviewed. He's consistently asking, he's like, okay, you know, have these, have these findings been peer reviewed? Have, have these machines been looked at by other people? You know, do you, do you have any idea whether or not these meteors are going to hit in the right places and stuff? He's asking too many questions and there's a real focus on the, on the word peer reviewed. What kind of do you like, what kind of, of, of uh, reflection do you think that's trying to say in terms of, of um, what we are sort of just kind of trusting nowadays?
2: To me, I think it was strategic because I think if you asked the average person, they might not even know what peer reviewed means. If I asked my dad, someone who hasn't isn't highly educated, um, very smart but never had any post-secondary education, I don't think he knows what peer reviewed is. Mm-hmm. And I think that's common, especially in the United States where post-secondary education is extremely inaccessible. And I think that was probably the main target audience of the movie. just U.S. huge market. Um, I think, A, drawing attention to the fact that there are different qualities of research and that not all research is made equal. And just because someone says, oh, the study was done, maybe to question it further. And I think even if it only piques somebody's only kind of is embedded in the back of someone's mind to come out later, They don't even realize they learned something, um, I think it can be beneficial. That's mm-hmm.
1: yeah, a good point. I, I think that's a good point. And I, uh, I think also the fact that he keeps emphasizing peer-reviewed, I don't think that he says this directly, but I think it hints at a little bit of this inaccessibility of that knowledge that we have in the world right now. Like, you know, you can't access academic journals if you're not in a university, right? We don't have access to these scientific articles that um, climate change is based on because they're behind paywalls. And But what people do have access to, which is what the movie kind of talks about more, is that they have access to media. So they have access from to what is coming from these tech gurus and what they are saying in the media and all this non-peer-reviewed science, air quotes, Um <laughs> And so, again, I don't think they directly kind of are saying that in the movie, but it is like kind of a theme in this idea of what knowledge is accessible to people and what is being given to people. Mm-hmm. There's also the problem, and I don't know if they are, they were actually trying
3: to speak to it. Um, if they do, did, it was very subtle. But we all know there's this problem of corporate uh, entities like funding research um, to you know distract from um you know further their own interests exactly
2: yeah and so and i think that was clearly shown in the movie when their perfect science fails you know Mm -hmm. of maybe we needed to question this more and maybe do it before it's too late Mm -hmm. before you abandon the project that will actually work
0: Mm -hmm. well all right um uh as you know i normally ask a following question but i think we we spent most of this talking about your favorite and least favorite parts of the movie so i think i'm just going to end it there uh thank you all once again and this was this was great all right so that concludes episode two i hope you enjoyed it i'm hoping to have episode three out before the end of may however if it's not out please know i'm working hard to get it to you